Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio, and tonight we are going to be talking about probably my favorite carpet python, IJs, Irian Jaya's Poplin carpet pythons, whatever you call them, Moralia Spilota, Harrisoni, whatever, doesn't matter. Um, but they are... Uh, they're, in my opinion, one of the coolest carpets and probably um, one that you're going to see rise to the top in a few years. And tonight I have with me, we have Riley Jimison of Riley's Reptiles. We have Chris Salemi of Chris Salemi Reptiles. I was going to call you Salami yeah. when, I was saying, when I was asking you a question or something. And I was like, Salami, pay attention. But I wrote Salemi. So see, now I go the opposite way. So there you go. All right. Um, we got Rob Stone from. Oh my God, man. I'm so fucking tired. Yeah, there you go. Hold on. We got to do this all over again. High playing turf. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> okay, have my back. I'll fill in where you right. go blank. Welcome That's to fine. Python Radio, and tonight <laughs> we are doing an IJ roundtable. Uh, we are going to be talking about my favorite carpet, Python, um, the IJs, Poplin carpets, Papayan carpets, uh, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> however you want to call it. But uh, we're going to get into, uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff, um, you know, uh, the history behind them, what we got, what got us into them, um, some different lines, some of the morphs, uh, where we think it's going. Um, and uh, out of all the carpet pythons, um, this one we actually can import. And um, I think everybody here uh, has had um, captive hash or wild caught um, poplin carpets at some point. Um, yes, I will be switching back and forth throughout the show from IJ to Poplin Carpets. That's just how I roll. And um, yeah, we're going to be talking about establishing bloodlines, all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, tonight, uh, that's, that's going to be that. Owen is not with us, but I do have Rob Stone filling in for Owen, um, which this is the second time we're hosting together there, Rob. It uh, hasn't happened like that in, a, in quite a bit. So um, Right. And, uh, we got uh, Chris Chris Salemi is with us. Uh, we have Riley Jimison and we have Steve Katz um, all here um, because I think we are probably the most obsessed with IJs out of all the carpet python people. Would you agree? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. It was like dead silence yes. there for a second. I was like, I what agree. the hell, guys? <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, so I guess That's how great, we're going to start this is um, how did you get uh, started with them? Um, I guess I will I'll 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 say how I got started with them, and then and then we'll go from there. So I think uh, probably oh man, it was my introduction to IJs was when I first met Luke Snell. Um, Luke Snell was kind of the IJ guy back when I was getting in, and I guess around 2006 to 2009, um, and he had uh, probably, in my opinion, one of the best collections of IJs out there. 
Um, and uh, I got to go visit his place, check out what he had going on. Um, he showed me some stuff that he was working on and some of the, you know, uh, the different lines that he was working with. And I was hooked, man. So I uh, picked up um, the first, br actually, it was the first pair that I've ever bred of carpet pythons or just snakes in general was um, uh, the GQM pen uh, stuff that, uh, that he had. He had sold me his adults. And I, actually, I still have those adults. And um, <clears throat> so anybody that has GQM pen stuff, yeah, that's where that all came from, from Luke Snow. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, to me, I, I, there's just a ton of potential with them. Um, they were kind of put on the back burner for a while. Uh, and we'll get into that and what our thoughts are. And uh, I just, everybody was working on jungles and trying to make yellow yellower and blacker blacker. And um, for me, IJ's had more of a color palette to work with. Uh, you know, it had yellows, it had browns, it had chestnut, it had blacks, it had khaki, it had all kinds of different uh, reds, oranges. Um, so I just thought there was more potential there. So, I mean, that's how I got into them. And, um, yeah, now I have about 45 of them, maybe, <laughs> something like that. Uh, so, so, yeah. What about you, Chris? How'd you get into them? Uh, at the time, probably around 2008, 2009, I was keeping a little bit of everything. I wasn't focused on one thing. I had, um, you know, odds and ends, and uh, I wanted to get into something different. Ah. Uh, I happened to find Anthony Caponetto's website, yes. which at the time was the, the big carpet python website. Um, I think I also saw uh, Paul Harris from his site go in and uh, Ali Weiss from Germany. He had his. And that's where I started really getting into carpets and happened to be at a White Plains Expo and picked up a pair from Jay McLear. Uh, I went with them more based on uh, size at the time. Uh, you heard how big Coastal got, uh, or at least that's what I thought. Um, so I chose the uh, IJs simply because they're smaller. Cool. And right. I fell in love How about with them. You, Steve. <clears throat> so <clears throat> for me, they I was keeping other reptiles, um, mainly lizards and uh, geckos and chameleons. And IJs were the first carpet pythons that I was introduced to. And so kind of blew my mind when I found out that these is for the most part, as good as it's ever going to look, and then just kind of washes out. Um, so that was what really hooked me. Um, and then same thing, Anthony Campanetto doing uh, his uh, SOB stuff, um, the IJ Jacks. I thought that was cool at the time. Uh, don't get me wrong, I still like them, but that's what really drew me in was ending up that color change. <clears throat> and uh, the rest was history. I just, the once I started with IJs, um, there was no going back. <laughs> cool. All right. What about you, Riley? <clears throat> so when I was <clears throat> sort of first finding out and learning about the Morelia complex, um, I'm definitely later onto the scene than probably everybody in this, this group right now. I, I didn't sort of wake up to Morelia until like 2012, 2013. Um, 
and it started with uh, green trees and jungles, and then I realized how much was out there, and I'm one of those people that, like, I got to complete the set. So I started learning as much as possible, and, of course, IJs were on that trajectory, and uh, as soon as I found the granite morph, I was really intrigued, but right around 2013 was when I started meeting cats. Um, Tony Dore, who's also big into to IJs, and uh, Terrell and April in Simi Valley, because I was in Santa Barbara at that time. And so just seeing those a little more often kind of kept them in my, my foresight. And I just, I think once Steven sort of coordinated that, that shipment that we brought in of those farm hatched ones, I had already sort of been thinking about them. And as soon as I saw those fresh red babies, I was like, oh okay yeah this is me right here and uh ever since then like i still have a lot of variety but those things are a staple for me and uh like you said earlier the fact that there's so much color variety and color palette and potential within just the wild type i have 13 animals now um and not one of them is any um, any morph um and they're all different and so yeah after seeing the first little red baby and sort of seeing some of Tony's variety and what Steven was showing me and kind of learning. And then, uh, dude, I just, I like everything else, but man, they really have something else going on. So that's just always been what's grabbed me. What's your experience with them, Rob? So my first carpets were a pair of jungles that I bred with Tom back in 2003 or 2004. And then also having... And Owen, uh, an OMAC special coastal, as a coastal that was brought into the zoo that was, I don't know, eight and a half or nine feet long. So those were my initial carpets. And then starting in 2004, for about a five year period through 2008, uh, I was buying a ton of animals from Cameron. And as part of that, you know, he would, especially at that time, he wasn't bringing in the huge size stuff, but all the way from the little red, the beautiful little red babies that everyone's talking about to, maybe two and a half, three footers. So they're probably a year to 18 months, something like that. They wouldn't bring them in. So starting by that point, so 2004, he wouldn't import them over that size because generally speaking, they don't do that well once they're already adult size when they're coming in. So that was already the case. So I wasn't seeing the really big stuff, but uh, beautiful things. And I probably bought 35 or 40 of them over that five-year period. I didn't produce any of them or from any of them, that was all kind of clean them up and sell them, that sort of thing. And I hope that those have gone on to do really well because I know I sent you pictures for the last time we chatted, IJ, and what, maybe half of those, because I like stripes myself too. I know most of the people on here do. And probably half to two-thirds of those were beautifully full-striped animals. So I'm sure they're mixed in somewhere, or at least I'd like to think so. Uh, we should also put a pin in the whole IJ, the name thing. I know that was something you wanted me to talk about, so I'm happy to do so. So we'll put a pin in that and come back to it. Yeah, go for it, man. Just go for it now. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of well. Let me let me start by saying this. There's sort of um, I don't know if you want to call it a debate or another thing for us reptile f- people to disagree about, or how, <laughs> I don't know how you want to phrase it, but um, you it's know, definitely the, get to mention Hosmer. <laughs> that's once don't say it two more times <laughs> um, watch it chris <laughs> uh, so uh so yeah so uh, some people now 
I will throw out this. Like, Mike Cross has always <clears throat> called them West Papuan carpet pythons. And even back when, I mean, this is going back to when I first was getting into carpet pythons. Um, and I remember t- talking to him at Carpet Fest and asking him, like one of the very first Carpet Fest, asking him that question, like, why does he call him that? And, you know, back then he, he didn't really, you know, have an answer, so to speak, other than that's just what he always has known them as. So that's what he calls them. Um, Whereas I was used to calling them Irian Jayas or IJs, and there's uh, sort of, uh, I guess some people are in the camp of IJs and some people are in the camp of Papuan carpets. I, you know. Team IJ here. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so this is kind of the point. I'm not interested in getting into the whole Harrisonai bit that's uh, beyond my pay grade and something that I'm, uh, that only makes me have blood pressure problems talking about taxonomy. <laughs> so I'll, I'm just sticking for the purposes of this, sticking to common name stuff and recognizing that inherently common names are sometimes problematic, right? They're ideally supposed to be descriptive of the animal that you're talking about, but they're far looser than the taxonomical stuff. So uh, recognizing that, I guess the important bit is that the species first came into the U.S. ignoring sort of relabeling Australian stuff as from New Guinea out of the Hank Moll 1980s thing. Ignoring that, the first carpets from New Guinea seem to have come into the U.S. in 1993. The ones that came in are from around the Meroki area. There are three, three, well, two or three populations of carpets in New Guinea. So, there's, if you if you take the first two as disjunct, it would be those around Meroki and then those around Oriomo, which is in the western district of Papua New Guinea. So if you basically uh, went due east from Meroki, there is a question of whether that's, there's a population, you know, a disjunction in that population between those two things. So that's either one continuous one or that's two different ones, all in the sort of savanna, southern lowland habitat across New Guinea. And then there's a third that's on the coast, uh, central south coast around Port Moresby. So obviously because New Guinea itself is closed to the export of reptiles, save the semi-questionable things in the 70s, again through Hank, um, we don't have access to, if those are three populations, to either of the two eastern populations. If they're the first two aren't disjunct, then that's really, we're getting Western edge stuff that potentially is from covering both those populate, the, sec, the first and second population. The snakes themselves right appear to be restrained by latitude uh, in all those cases and whether there's actually that disjunction. It doesn't seem like it from habitat, but that area, we just don't have a ton of insight and records into. And at this point, we all should embrace the known unknowns and not say stuff that we can't speak to. And I certainly would do that here. In terms of the name thing, right, so if we're talking 1993, officially the, that area, right, the western area where the, the snakes that we have are coming from is now called Papua. From 1895 to 1962, it was called Netherlands New Guinea. From 1967 to 1973, it was West New Guinea or West Irian. From 1973 to 2002, 2002, Irian Jaya, and from 2002 to present, Papua or West Papua. 
and it is a political thing, both in terms of what you call that area, even now, right, if you're saying Papua or West Papua, there's an implication that you're kind of speaking towards independence for that area from Indonesia, which I think probably we'd all be at least conceptually on board with what that actually looks like and all these things. It gets very confused, like it always does. But um, it's not only within talking about these carpets that it's political. Just generally, what you call that area has a political implication. It particularly did in the early 2000s. Having laid that out there, right, the snakes came into the U.S. in 1993, and it wasn't until 2002 that it was changed from Arian Jaya to Papua or West Papua. This population of snakes that we have, especially at that time, came from Arian Jaya, and it wasn't clear whether the population around Moroki and Oriomo were connected. So I think part of what we're getting into is really a question of if you're a lumper or a splitter. And I think using the language Erie and Jaya when in the 90s, the Barkers used it through 1999 or whatever, I think is recognizing that there was a potential difference there. And if you wanted to uh, be as specific as possible, you wouldn't say Papuan carpet, which might imply any of those three populations, but refer to the one that we actually had. And so I think that's where that comes from. And at this point, I don't think there's been that much more research to establish, A, whether the Oriomo and the Maroki critters are different, and then where the Port Moresby ones are and whether those are all the same thing. I think, generally speaking, taxonomically, they're going to be deemed the same thing. But it is one of those things that actually when you say Papuan, you're being less specific. And I understand the, the impetus to do so if you believe they're all the same. I don't know that we have the insight to do that personally. I think IJ is very convenient and not wrong relative to the historical, certainly my historical exposure to them and the literature through 2002. So you can bear that in mind. I would, if I were to spell it out, I would call them a Papuan carpet myself, but colloquially I'll refer to them as IJ. Gotcha. So how do well, you guys that, fall? Where do you, <laughs> right? Where do you guys fall, Chris? Where, where do you... the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that verbatim. <laughs> you had that written down, didn't you? <laughs> yes. And I, was, well, I was like, wow, did I post a picture of this? Or, Yeah. <laughs> for, me, for me personally, yeah. um, I, I, I love IJ. And it's like when Nick and I talk on the phone, we go back and forth. And I mean, who doesn't go back and forth with Nick, but <laughs> um, I, I like to kind of poke at like Nick and a couple other guys uh, who like to call them pop wins. Um, at the end of the day, for me, my biggest concern really is just sometimes people get lazy and say pop wind pythons, not pop wind carpet python. Yep. Um, other than that, I mean, it's just a common name, right? Uh, Royal python, ball python. It's sure. the same thing. Um, if we're going to get into the Harris and I talk, that's uh, something different. But um, as just a general rule for the common name, you know, IJs is kind of the same thing. It's what we knew for a very long time. Uh, it's what I learned, and so it's just kind of what I'm sticking with. But I, in the grand scheme of things, I, it's no big deal to me. Even though I do poke a lot when I post, like in the Pop Win page, I say IJs and things like that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's all, it's all good. You know, um, I think IJs roll off the tongue better, but, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's why I say yeah. it, IJ. It's just, it's just easier. And um, 
I usually, I'll only say popcorn if I'm like talking to you, uh, but normally it's just IJ. That's a, that when I got them, that's what they were called, and it just stuck with me. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's how I learned them too, and and so that was the first name I was introduced to them before Poplin or West Poplin, even though it was well after the political name changed. But having heard Rob's explanation, it does sound like there's plenty of room for more DNA studies and like geographical studies to try and quantify what's going on in some of these regions to see if they are. Uh, the same or genetically distinct enough to be separate, and then in which case, specific names, even in the common names, would be you know worthwhile. So like if we did find that there were, you know, three distinct um, populations that warranted different common names, then I would absolutely refer to the ones on uh, West Papua as IJs, because that sort of would make sense if Papuan is going to be referred to as a generic term for the whole sort of umbrella group. Um, so given that we don't know that information, it seems to me at least to be a little more just wholesome and, and concrete and even maybe potentially respectful. I don't know how the people there see the naming, like if, you know, they see any sort of bad implications if they didn't. I don't know. I don't know. But um, huh. yeah, I, I just call them pop ones. Like, do the people over there have like a stake in this political turnover? And do you know? Does the majority of the population have favor one way or the other? Do they miss the old name? If that's the case, is that disrespectful to call them pop ones? I don't know. I don't either. I don't know. We Rob, should ask Ari. Do you have any insight on that, Rob? I don't. Certainly, sort of the independence movement has associated itself with uh, moving away from Syrian Jire or West Syrian. So that I I would say, or um, I would say, generally speaking, that the the nativist folks that are there are probably more prone to say Papuan, and that's why I say to me, I think if we're talking about them uh, in terms of when you design your website or Whatever, I think it totally makes sense to spell it out, Papuan carpet. I think you're you're on the right side of history with that. It's it's current. I think that makes a ton of sense. Indicating again, recognizing the thing that you know that I had talked about and Riley went into. I'm 100% on board with that. I just think that that's sort of the reality. And if you are a lumper, then maybe you tend to move away from that. If you're a splitter, you embrace the notion that well, actually, I'm being more specific. But in all these cases, I'm with you guys that. Really, just saying IJ is a very quick and convenient way for people uh, who are familiar sure. with them to know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think that I'm totally with you. In, in terms of saying people do say then Poplin Python, it's just unnecessarily confusing. And as common sure. names go, <laughs> the goal is not to be unnecessarily confusing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I bet you people haven't even thought about it in as depth as you just explained it in terms of the political timelines and everything. I bet you people haven't uh, – there's probably a lot of people that haven't even considered that fact. Um, so they probably just call it whatever they learned it as and don't care much more beyond that for the majority of people, I would bet. But, yeah, I mean, for posterity purposes, it's interesting to hear that back history and, and learn it on that level. I, And even further appreciation for that timeline. Yeah. Sure. Um, I was going to talk about, like, you guys sort of uh, – oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that you being a Seinfeld fan, it always reminds me of Jay Peterman, and it will always be Burma to me. <laughs> 
Always a Seinfeld reference. I like it. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I, I think um, we sort of answered this, the one question that we had about um, were many folks in the early days pursuing, um, you know, working with uh, this subspecies, I guess. We'll, we'll go with that for now. Uh, that could change in the near future. Um, but um, for now, we'll go with subspecies. Um, and I mean, you guys kind of hit on Anthony Caponetto. Um, I think another one that um, probably stood out to me the most, besides Luke, because I knew him personally, but um, would be um, Yasser. I mean, I think Yasser pretty much was the IJ guy um, in the 2000s. Um, I don't know, Rob, maybe you have some more yeah, insight into the, to the early years, but I know he was working with a lot of imports and uh, breeding them successfully and establishing a lot of the lines. I mean, people have heard names like Herman and Mama and Poster Child and Nudge and, uh, you know, I could go on and on with Felt, all the different names that he had of, uh, of his IJs. But, um, and if, if you're doing any kind of... Um, Time, or, uh, I'm going to say timeline. You may got me saying timeline. Any kind of um, uh, lineage and lineage. stuff. Yeah, you're probably going to hit into that. You're probably going to hit something from Yasser at some point. <clears throat> some of the lines that we're working with. But um, I don't know. Is there any. Uh, Which might I yeah. add? Yeah. Is anyone else as excited as I am that he's back? Yeah, he actually agreed. Yeah, it's to, awesome, man. Yeah, he agreed to do the show. He's just waiting for the right time. Um, but when he comes yeah. on. To have him talk about the history of his lines. He's back. Oh my God, it's gonna be amazing. What do you mean he's back? Is he is he back to keeping snakes again or something? Yeah. 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 You're not friends with him on Facebook. You weren't. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. He's I don't on Instagram too. I'm on there. Okay. I'll, I'll, have yeah. to, so, I'll have to look him up. I'm definitely familiar with him, but like I thought he was just kind of done with the hobby. The other one is, uh, I should say that he, he, his, his uh, company was called Spitfire Reptiles, which I've heard you, you yes. if you're listening to this, you've heard a million times us talk about Yasser or Spitfire on, uh, on the show. But uh, I don't know. Does anybody else stand out to you guys as far as uh, in the early days? I think the no, VPI I mean, stuff, everyone... right? So VPI and yeah. Mike, Mike Pinnell. Barker. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Mike Pinnell. And I don't know where Mike's stuff was, if that was wild caught or if that was stuff from the Barkers or, the Barkers. or what, but they would be in the same spot, you know, in terms of saying, like, getting stuff in Cameron that was coming in and then, uh, you know, with them producing from it. And so that's, you know, probably we call it, uh, you get into the whole line question and all this stuff, but when you're talking about F1s that aren't related to anything else, I suppose it's fair to call it a line, even when it's... Uh, when we tend to think that means multiple generations, generally. Yeah. You would probably have to include uh, the original granite breeder also in that. Um, Pete, right? Was his name yeah. Pete Newton? Pete Newton? Yeah. Over yeah. In, uh, or was it, so was it Piet or is it Freak? Who had, or did he get them from Piet? I think he got them from Piet. Because I know he was, okay. Because yeah. I know he had done quite a bit with them. To, I don't know who ultimately kind of expanded the project and then exported them forward, but say, those two were definitely involved. 
you know, that's the other one that, that we kind of that we kind of forgot about was uh, Reptilicus line. Um, I know Eric Kohler works a lot with those. I have a few of those from that bloodline, but that would be uh, Will Leary, and um, he kind of worked with the granite mutation. He had that crazy one, the labyrinth, and then I think in the early days it was called the spider. I think if you look on his yeah. old website, it's that, you know, I think they kind of chalked it up to incubation issues with, and they were never able to reproduce it. I don't even know if the project's still around. I know Nick and Paul Harris were working with it for a while, but um, I don't know if they're still working with that or not. <clears throat> yeah, I think that, sh that the story of that has been on the show, like two-thirds of the story has been on the show multiple times, so I don't know that we're, that I know the full full deal. I can't I can't think now who, who had hatched them out. I, I wanted to say it was like Bob Fudo, but I don't know that that's right. Boa Cabana line? No, uh, the spider. You know that crazy-looking labyrinth oh, thing? Labyrinth thing? Yeah. I think they're called labyrinths now, but at the time, in the early 2000s, they spider. were spiders. Yeah. They don't want to be associated with the spider ball python, maybe. I don't know. So they changed it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was there wasn't very, very many people um, working with them. I, I chalk it up to the jag part of it, and... Um, I mean, let's all be honest. I mean, if you were coming into carpet pythons in the 2000s at some point, I think what draw, drew all of us into carpets is probably Bullwinkle, um, and that's an IJ jag. And I think that's why IJs were sort of glossed over. Um, I don't know. What's your thoughts? What do you think, Chris? Is, did you? No, that I would say that's what brought me into it. We're seeing the, uh, the Bullwinkle and SOV jags on Anthony Caponetta's site. Right. Because um, I, I have some of them. Uh, I have quite a few of his, um, his animals, the Hannibal stuff, uh, the GQ. Oh, yeah, there was the Hannibal stuff. I forgot about that. Yeah, Yeah, those those tend to throw some weird patterns also. Yeah, they do. Real reduced patterns. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> do you guys think... I'm going to switch gears real quick. And we can kind of answer this question together. Do you guys think that there's, um, I mean, when we're working with these imports and stuff, do you think that there's possibilities that there could be um, new genetics uh, that we could be stumbling upon? Do you like, you know, look at every little scale count or pattern or anything? Like, I don't know what 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 gets you going as far as when you're looking at, uh, you know, uh, new projects, Chris. Uh, so I tend to pick up stuff that's striped. Okay. Um, but I'm not I'm not really picking stuff apart the same way you would with uh, like ball python breeders where they see something out of place and um, you know they call it a new morph. Or, or I'm not really looking to um, you know I'm not expecting a new morph to pop out. If it happened, it happened. Right. But mine is more towards uh, breeding for like right right now I have that reduced pattern stuff. Right, um, and even that wasn't a wasn't a plan of mine. It just they just happened to hatch out that way, and I decided to go with it. Yeah, they're pretty cool, man. That's uh, that's a good. So point. now, anytime I look for uh, wild caught stuff or the farm stuff, uh, there's a couple websites I send like Outback. I constantly check their site, and if there's a import animal on there that is striped or you know, different colors, I'll kind of. Kind of go for it. Gotcha. 
which Steve knows all about because I know I know I got an animal once. <laughs> Sewer subject. Well, what do you say, Steve? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Chris, those reduced patterns are lame. You should send them to me. <laughs> um, for me, the the thought is, I mean, everyone wants to hope and dream. I'm, I think most people. Um, and so the possibility, in my opinion, is there. Uh, for me, though, personally, um, I had a snake that the bald python community would probably call a scaleless head um, IJ, and it could have been a scar. It was a wild-caught import, <clears throat> and I ended up uh, selling it to a friend, and they said they had no interest. Um, if it proved out, they would let me know, and I didn't upsell on it. I just said, you know, I have a lot of cool stuff, and let's say this is something, um, and my collection crashes, you know, I don't want to be held responsible for it <laughs> if it dies on my hands. Um, so I sent it away, but I, I tend to do that kind of a lot because I truly believe that is if I just hoard everything and um, my collection gets uh, the coronavirus <laughs> or, um, you know, something catastrophic, a fire, you know, they would just all perish. And I do have, you know, some cool cool imports, in my opinion, um, things that I really like. And then I also have stuff that I've shared with others um, and hope that maybe it'll prove out or maybe it'll just be something pretty that they could advance that look. Um, and then I could hopefully pick up babies from that. Cool. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I have uh, recently started sending out, I've sent a bunch of stuff to Riley, um, you know, just to sort of get that out of my, just the same type of idea. If something happens, that's not totally lost, you know. Um, but so that answers it's sort that of an old school like, zoo yeah. philosophy to do that in terms of not, not actually consolidating. You want to have it spread around in that way. So I know that. Uh, Tom and I, that was always kind of the policy. So I applaud both of you for doing that. I think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. What about you, Riley? I think there's definitely potential for a morph to, you know, come in, considering we can still import them. But for me, my I just like the pursuit of all the different phenotypes and being to sort of uh, isolate certain looks and, um, fit, you know, sort of, fine-tune them and refine them like the uh the black fish netting edging on scales but with different colors in the background um some animals have striping some animals uh like the side patterns almost disappear into the side blushing so there's like just a i don't know there's just so much variety in them i if there's more outside of you know granite and uh, exanthic in there and new stuff comes in like that's great like that's only gonna you know help the uh, the focus and, and enhancement on people's attention who are gonna do great things with these animals but for me like I'm just really happy with all my wild types and being able to you know look five years ahead and say like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna try and make the reddest of the red of the red and then with these ones, I'm going to make this vanishing side pattern. And with these ones, I'm going to make some high lavenders. And with these ones, they're going to be all black and 
30 years and these ones you know what i mean like yeah. and you don't even have to have them more you can just selectively breed and just get you know something out of it and that might turn into something down the line so you know what's you know what's crazy just as a side note um you know that's kind of what keith uh, you guys are familiar with uh matt minnetola's extreme uh marvels oh yeah yeah yeah, definitely. So that project started with Keith importing uh, an animal that had some peppering on the side. <laughs> wow. So when I when I was hearing Keith tell me to tell the story about that, it's just like, wow. I think he he was he tell, maybe it was uh, after the show or something, but uh, he was talking about it the last time we were talking to him. But uh, pretty cool. Rob, did you ever come across anything weird in your uh, importation of uh, these guys besides the stripe stuff that you were picking out? Or, well, I just I would say just to be clear, I didn't import anything. You know, I went you oh, know and unpacked certain bush strings. That's okay. I yeah. I just I, I take a strict line on that. But I would say you know to call oneself an importer, you probably should have an import export license at a bare minimum, uh, just generally speaking. But. Uh, I would say that uh, I'm with Riley, man. I think the polygenic stuff is the, the kind of the most interesting to me and in some ways is the most accessible, right? If, if you did have something like now something patently uh, a single gene uh, mutation, I think that that's most likely going to – it runs the risk of – quote, falling into the wrong hands or winding up in the wrong hands, as Nick would say, in the sense that that's probably not going to go with a, a few potential exceptions. That's going to go for a high dollar to someone that's actually not one of you who is the most situated to actually deal with it, right? That's going to get diverted because it's obviously something hugely different. So I think the potential in the wild stuff right now is really in that polygenic stuff or subtle stuff that maybe is a heterozygous expression of something that will be more dramatic if you follow it and pursue it, but it's not smacking you in the face that it's obviously something different. I think those things have the greatest risk of winding up, you know, going nowhere because the, it's a single thing that's most likely going to be sold for a high dollar amount relative to everything else as opposed heck, the stuff even gets, you know, or gets from Dan or, or wherever it comes from. That stuff's amazing, and to me, those are the most intriguing things around. They're, they're the things that are still being exported at sort of the standard rate or maybe at a, a slightly sweetened rate, but not dramatically different. And that's really the potential for you all to, to do awesome things because I do think there's polygenic stuff that, if pursued, will turn into really fantastic animals. Yeah, high orange, you know, high, high yellow, <laughs> you know, I mean... High band count, whether it's high band count, low band count, yeah, yeah the color stuff, whether it's white or dark, there's a ton of potential there for him, 100%. I keep telling Chris, you right. know, he's got to make those uh, reduced patterns like uh, Jags so we can stop working with Jags and stop working with them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so I'm, I'm working on it. My, uh, my hat of the mail, unfortunately, died. Uh, Okay. Uh, so I'm left with the uh, I'm just left with the offspring. I feel your pain with poison ivy, man. It's the same boat, you know. It's like you get kicked in the <clears throat> kicked in the nards, and you're like your project is like kicked back years because of it. But uh, yeah, and I don't know if you see it, but I haven't seen much of the Hannibal stuff out there. No, I think 
you're really the I mean you're really the only one I know that has that lineage that I know of do you got Riley or S Steve do you guys uh I'll have to I double do check with Brat Brat might it might have some of that yeah, in the background of one of his animals. Yeah, so if he's got something from you, then he's got stuff in the background of his stuff, which means the baby I have from him probably does. I'll have to double-check with him. From who? From him? Yeah, so so Jacob Ross, uh bought some 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 IJs from Chris, and last year when he produced them, I got a mail from him. So, And I think that animal has animal back there. Mm-hmm. So what would you say for people that don't know who Hannibal is, Chris? What would you, what, how would you describe that animal? It was Anthony Caponetto's. Yeah, it's an animal from Anthony Caponetto. It seemed to lack a lot of uh, black pigment. Right. Would you agree? Is that, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a very light-colored animal. And um, other than that, it was a, a pretty normal-looking snake, but the babies that it would tend to throw had real reduced patterns, real reduced head patterns. Right. I know he there's, was there's, there's still pictures floating around. You could dig up Anthony Caponetto's the old version of the website with the carpet stuff on it. You could uh, you could dig it up and see those pictures of the offspring. Yeah, he, we know Eric has that printed out. He can just scan it in. It's yeah, I was going to say guaranteed. Eric has it. I do. I do. I. Um, what I would say is um, that was that one, if you remember, Anthony Caponetto hatched out that motley-looking thing with that crazy pattern. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that was GQ and Hannibal, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, that's what my original male was. My, the one that died, uh, that was a GQ Hannibal animal. Okay. I did at one point have animals from them, uh, from that line, but... Um, the, the female I had got a respite. I actually bought that female when I bought poison ivy. Um, and, uh, that one got a respiratory infection and, and passed, but, uh, yeah. That yeah. sucks. Yeah. So does anyone remember Anthony working with the, I guess like a blue line? Yeah. Yeah. He talked about it on the show when he was on, um, that right, it just hatched when he came on. Yeah. That also came... But that was crossed with Jags? Yes. Yes. Okay. That was more of his uh, Bullwinkle stuff. Um, but um, mm -hmm. he actually had some wild-caught uh, IJs that he would throw into the mix um, every once in a while. Like a lot of the GQM pen stuff has that GQ. He did a GQ to uh, that really dark ma uh, female um, if you look at any of my lineage charts, it's all over. It's that really dark female, and she was wild caught. And um, that's the one that threw that blue line stuff with, I don't know if it was Bullwinkle or if it was Son of Bullwinkle. I can't remember. But uh, cool. What What do you guys think about, um, you know, what... Ha what has caused the resurgence in them from taking them from the $100 dirt snakes that they were to, it seems like, I don't know, it seems like everybody's sort of, uh, and maybe I'm just in that world, so uh, it just seems like everybody likes them, but um, more so than I remember in 2007. Um, I don't know, what's your thoughts, Chris? Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe because uh, you could get, still get the uh, import stuff, and people are looking for more genetics. Maybe 
Maybe it's because it's kind of at the point with, say, something like jungles where you can't really do much more with the color. Right. Uh, I'm sure the show has, you know, the show helps. You're constantly talking about them because uh, they're your favorite. <laughs> <Disney>? so, <laughs> so, you know, people get excited when they hear someone else excited about something and they want to get into it. But I have noticed that even going to reptile expos, I see more of the import stuff. Um, me, like I only really go to White Plains here, um, and the importer there, he never had the, the wild-caught IJs on the table. And within the last year or two, I've seen them more and more, uh, which is why I tend to pick them up as soon as I see them. Cool. What about you West Coast guys, Steve? Um. I think it's definitely, I think it's twofold. So I think a big part of it is the excitement for you could still get them. And so you have the opportunity at the very least to introduce new blood and either work a new uh, poly uh, type trait or outcross in some form. Um, and then on the reverse side is uh Probably wishful, hoping maybe I'll produce something um, unique or a new morph. But with, oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> with the importation of them, it's just kind of exciting. Um, oh, that's what I was going to touch on. So you have the, the breeding, the new blood, the potential for a new morph for some people, the way I at least view it. Some people think like that. And then with the internet, um, you have Instagram where um, DVMs are posting constantly, giving pretty much free advice. Um, and people make YouTube videos on how to clean imports, you know, how to quarantine. There, there's knowledge, there's a, a lot more knowledge out there. It used to just be textbook stuff, and even that was limited to the experience of one or two guys that dealt with it and then published their findings. Now, with a quick Google search, you could find 50 different people and their methods for how to treat and uh, successfully keep alive imports. So it's, it's not this scary thing. I used to run from imports and think, oh, gross, and you know, it's just cheap, cheap, easy way to make money. And now I look forward to, one, getting them clean and the uh, the task of getting them eating if they're older, because if anyone's ever had a wild-caught adult IJ, they take you know close to a year to get eating, uh, but once they're dialed in and settled in in their setup, it, it's just like a CBB, in my opinion. Right. Um, so I think that right. that knowledge has helped so much, and people are more interested in it now. Um, it's not so scary, and people are asking for it. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen, I'm totally with you. I think the, uh, well, you highlight the point. The reason that, you know, come 2004, even Cameron wasn't getting in big ones in terms of both feeding, getting them to go, and then certainly getting them females to ovulate the male, typically not an issue. But I'm 100% with you. Carpets are such hardy critters, right? That that's actually something that tends to do very well especially if it's sub-adult when it comes in. Generally speaking, someone could get that and even do nothing. And if they sort of are half-witted, even half-witted relative to 
to what they're supposed to do in that circumstance, they'll probably do fine with that, as opposed to things that we know just overall Asian rats, right, that for the most part, save rhinos don't do well as wild caught. Yeah. It's a carpet. <laughs> you know, it, it's <laughs> right. probably going to do fine absent you doing, uh, having just no experience whatsoever. It's probably not a starter as a wild caught, but it's probably a viable second option, you know, or a second, uh, second thing, even as wild caught, as long as it's sub-adult and feeding. Right. Yeah, definitely agree. As long as you're willing to not hold it. It'll do fine. <laughs> ah! yeah. What about you, Riley? Any thoughts on uh, on that? Yeah, the only thing I would add to, to what Stephen was saying, because um, I do completely agree that it is multiple factors going on. I think the stigma of imports has decreased dramatically. Um, there's a lot more importers like Dan Malaria getting out uh, into the, the spotlight to show people that imports aren't bad and if done ethically and from the right source you can have a fantastic experience with that so i think that made a huge impact um, i also think within the carpet community um, it's it's been a pleasant reminder that you know fresh genetics is good and so you should capitalize on that and then seeing the hype about it in communities like the npr community and other circles it's, it's obviously grown in discussion value recently, and I think it puts pe puts it in people's forefront um, a lot more than it has in the past because um, everyone's kind of gotten, you know, stalled out. There's no new crazy morphs, nothing super wild coming in, so they're just looking for, you know, some more stimulation, and it's coming from selective breeding there. And then I I also think the, the one thing I would add is that uh, – not entirely for everybody, but for some, the ball python market is driving people away and looking for a little bit of variety. And I'm not saying people are trading in ball pythons and going full carpet. I'm saying they're just looking for something that gives them a, a little more stimulation, a little bit more of a challenge and intrigue. And, uh, and when they hear carpets, the first things they hear about are about, you know, massive coastals or brettles. But then somebody comes along and is like, well, IJs don't get that big, and all of a sudden they start looking into that. So I think there's a, an insurgence of fresh new keepers uh, coming into them and looking to get their feet wet with something a little bit smaller. And because they happen to be sort of the redheaded stepchild of Morelia, um, they're only like, you know, 100, 150 bucks, you know, at least a few years ago. So it's like a nice, easy way for, for them to get into it. And then they, they sort of follow a, a trail of breadcrumbs to, to this show and, and the rest of us that sort of permeate this, this love for, for IJs. And it's just, you know, it's sort of like a good intro to Morelia for some people because they do have such a great reputation of being not super large and pretty affordable and pretty amenable to handling. So, yeah. So, real quick, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to add to what Riley said um, in terms of following the breadcrumbs to the show. Is we got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, we all, especially us, kind of all being close and more of a group. Some would say a cult, but whatever. <laughs> um, you know, the best we promote ever. them. We, we promote them quite a bit, and it doesn't matter who posts it. Um, 
you know, Chris knows I hate him, and when he posts something nice, I, I, I comment, and I say I love it. <laughs> We're bringing worlds together um, here. <laughs> yeah. But, no, on a serious note, you know, we've, we keep adding one or two guys, and, you know, definitely I haven't been doing this forever, but, you know, hearing uh, NPR, and then, you know, I'm in it. Chris was there already. And thinking about it, Riley mentioned, you know, he didn't really get into it till 2013. When him and I connected, I had just assumed he's been in it forever. You know, there was no right. judgment on, on you're, you're not, new, you don't have enough, anything like that. It was just, you know, whatever. The first and he just told me that. He's into IJs and posts them quite a bit. So I think that's kind of helped is this group of guys. I mean, Jacob posts. We, we all post, and then even across the country, the guys in uh, Europe. Like Craig, yeah. Craig, Carlos. Carlos, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank there's you. a lot of there's a, there's a lot of publicity around them right now. And for whatever reason why, I think that only contributes to the extra promotion. I mean, it's just if you put it in front of people's eyes and they see how beautiful it is and you got people taking good photos – it's game I have, over. I have a thought. I have a thought. I've noticed the change. I don't know what sort of changed this, but I noticed the change in the carpet python, just the general carpet python world. Happened maybe four, four or five years ago where just little by little, people started to really um, um, respect, uh, appreciate the wild type carpet python, regardless of what subspecies you're talking about, because I think that they come in a, in a crazy amount of colors and patterns. And I think, uh, you know, I think this is where Facebook or uh, Instagram uh, really comes into play is because we're now being exposed to people that we never would have been exposed to, you know, um, you know, from you know, I think of Scott and, uh, you know, all, oh gosh, man, I get you know, all these guys sending me pictures of uh, Richard. He's another one. He's always posting up these pictures of wild carpets where people are finding them or relocating them or, or any about uh, anything like that. And I think that um, that this move away from n not that people have stopped working with morphs, but it's not as more focused, if you will. You know, I think mm -hmm. I think maybe in like 2000 and maybe 2009 to like 2014, it was like, how many combos can I put together? And I don't think it was coming from the ball <laughs> python world. I think it was we just wanted to see a different looking carpet python. At least that was in my mind. I wanted to see like what happens when you put this with this or what happens when you put this with this or you make this an albino or whatever the case would be. Um, you know, how's that going to look? And um I mean, you think of Ed Lilly and what he did with his albinos by injecting IJ blood into it. Um, his, his albinos really pop. And uh, I think that's because he, he, he saw that as an opportunity to sort of outcross, you know, his, his albino stuff. Um, so you got that as far as the morphs go. But I, I, don't, I, I just think that, you know, with the IJs in particular, you have access to that wild-caught stuff. And you're, you're able to, like, where we only dream of working with some of the stuff that we see in Australia and that people find in their backyard, um, you know, we get a little taste of that when we're working with stuff that's coming in from, um, from Papua New Guinea. Um, 
And I think that's where you sort of had this, you know, excitement around it, if you will. I don't know. It's kind of my thoughts. But you have any thoughts, Rob? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm totally with you, man. I I think everything that's been said, I would just um, back 100%. I think Riley's spot on. I think it's a ton of exposure in terms of social media stuff. It's the community that you've all spoken to makes a ton of sense and really kind of preaching on here, you, you preaching on here with Ellen for nine and a half years or whatever, just saying, okay, that, you know, there's value in works, there's value in outside stuff, there's value in adding new blood to all these things that we're doing. And now really getting the social media, all these sort of the, the picture, picture frames. And I know even Steve, you putting up pictures of stuff that you're working with or when it just, I mean, those are the best personally, my favorite things to see are things that just came in. I'm, I guess just as my own personality, I, I'm not really interested in repeating what someone else is doing or even really seeing, oh, well, this is just a derivative thing from somebody else. It's someone striking out on their own road or it's nature giving us the opportunity to do that, and then you're pursuing it. I think that's the stuff that's fantastic. So uh, you should post, get more of them and post them when you do, and I'll, I'll like those pictures. And heck, man, as, as I said at the time, you know, if, if those are things that you decide you want to move, move on from and you, you want them to come live in Colorado, that's totally fine by me. So we can, we can chat about that. Steven, Steven, my birthday is in 10 days. If you want to surprise me with something, I do have Tuesday and Wednesdays off. I can receive animal shipments. Just saying. I am the host, okay. Kevin. I am the host. And you don't like Chris, so that leaves me left. <laughs> so. People are really going to start to believe I don't like Chris. <laughs> I heard about your trip. I heard about your trip. <laughs> Uh, hey, you I'm put you put a few sure. guys in a car. They're gonna. What was it? I heard Chris say something about a I knife. Was... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I said I was I was the nicest to him. Oh, so uh... <laughs> so where is all this coming from? I don't know. <laughs> no, no just like... all directed at the nice guy. <laughs> what drew us away from away from the morphs? Um, I would say going to Australia for the first time really changed my mind, and that's what got me into the the wild caught IJs, you know, because we can't yeah. get the wild, we can't get the new blood Australian stuff, um, but so seeing all that, all the wild um, forms of them, um, and uh, that guy you mentioned his name, Richard. I think his name is Richard Hackett. Yes. You know all that wild stuff that he posts. That just makes me want to stick with the the wild type even more. Yeah, I agree. Man. I mean, even even some of the even some of the wild stuff that we had found, um, almost it, some of the stuff looked almost exantic. Like I'm sure Stephen remembers that that gelatin yep. that we found that was pretty much black and silver and gray. That was almost an exantic jungle. And then the the Brisbane that we had found in uh, in the Boondall wetlands. Yeah, that animal. You know, that was nothing like I've seen before. Yeah. That was a that was an awesome coastal man. Dude, that was awesome. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Oh man. That's a cool trip. It wasn't that fun, Riley. It wasn't. <laughs> Riley, I'm sorry, bud. It was. 
But one day you will find out. I promise. I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to go get a bunch of eucalyptus shavings and drape them all over my, my reptile room. I'll borrow a koala from somewhere. And I'll grab a few of the wallabies and kangaroos. We'll hang out in my house, and it'll all be good. There and you, go. you will be jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Don't tell my boss. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think uh, with that being said, that um, wild caught and captive hatched and all this stuff and different lines and stuff, um, I think it would be uh, you know, a good conversation to have if we talk about establishing bloodlines and keeping them organized and um you know it's with with us as a group of breeders um you know uh, i know like the bowens guys did like a uh, stud book you know or something like that um where they sort of uh ari was sort of you know keeping track of which i don't even know how he did it but keeping track of who had what and, um, you know, trying to make sure that, because uh, I don't know what you guys think, but like we're importing them as clutches, right? I mean, especially with the captive hatch stuff, and that's kind of being divvied up between right. a bunch of guys. So really that's one bloodline. But I think uh, we don't want to fall into the same trap that the Diamond Python people <laughs> did, where they, you know, <laughs> so, they smuggled a bunch so of Diamond Pythons and then sent them to different zoos, and all of a sudden they become different bloodlines and they somehow produce the same morph, but I, you know, what do I know? So, so Chris has been in, Chris has been in the AZA world much longer than I have, and he can probably uh, shed more light on his experiences pertaining to how AZA does stud books. And I've seen a little bit of it and it's very, very detailed as far as like, they get down to the 10th of 10th of a percentage of, bloodline relatedness and have all these algorithms in terms of recommending like the most genetically diverse uh, breeding within the the population based on, you know, this whole program Um, and the way it starts is you need to have verified founder stock. So you need to be able to, whatever their standard is, you know, verify that, okay, these animals have documentation that comes from their true origins, it is trustworthy, and we can call this group of animals in this population founder stock. And then if you can discern the, the relatedness amongst the founder stock, then you can figure out sort of how wide of a, a genetic tree root you have to start with and start making recommendations based on um, genetic relatedness in order to promote the the widest margins as possible. And uh, without being able to concretely say, like, this animal is from here, this is founder stock, those animals, you know, probably shouldn't be considered in the population for recommended to breed as far as the conservation angle goes. They can breed elsewhere, whatever, but... um, that's that's kind of how AZA manages stud books. Like for example, with monkey tail skinks, there are founder stock animals, there are related animals, there are sibling sibling breedings, and they can tell you like, okay, don't these animals are not recommended to breed, and these are, and based on who has what that participates in this database, they can sort of make the best suggestions. So what what it comes down to is everybody sort of being transparent about 
which animals they have that are part of that potential founding stock and started from there. And you can, it would take a lot of work though, for sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think that's more, way more precise than maybe even what Eric means. Cause I, I'm totally with you, man. Right. If you're aiming for an inbreeding rate, uh, you know, rate of inbreeding sub 2%, then that means 50 completely unrelated founder animals and then you track them and, and work accordingly. And yeah, I don't, I don't, this is more about Riley's prerogative to name that the line that emerged from that clutch of captive hatch stuff because he was the first to produce them, right, Eric? Yeah, so it would be the Jimison bloodline? What? Was that what we're saying? <laughs> or at least Jimison line one if he's working with other stuff, you know, or whatever the heck he wants to call them. Purple, what is it Owen always says? Purple hippopotamuses or something? Yeah, yeah. purple hippos. Yeah. Purple hippo line. Yeah, I mean, it just really depends on, like, if you can, uh, to some degree, without a reasonable doubt, prove that, like, at these different times of import or, you know, trace it back uh, reliably to at least give that founder stock some sort of delineation and then build it off of that. You can sort of, with a good, you know, reasonable amount of competence, put together a uh, a family tree of an entire population, assuming everybody was able to contribute that data to the population that has it, that goes that far. And then you can sort of work with that. And it, it would take quite a, an endeavor and amount of effort to put that together. But that's more or less how zoos decide what breeds what in, in terms of these endangered species. So if we're talking about preserving um, uh, species or subspecies within the hobby, if we wanted to take it to that level, that's what it would take. Yeah. I, go ahead. I've been throwing 10.2 together and just hoping for the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, that is more natural, right? It, yeah. it, again, we get into another issue that it's like, okay, well, I understand the desire to be able to say that this is the given sire and dam to a particular snake, but you're probably less likely to have any snakes about which to say that if you insist on that being the case, right? Because most of these things, it right. varies by species, obviously, but for the most part, or at least there are a ton of examples where we see multiple paternity clutches and you have multiple males vying for the same female, and in reality, you're probably having variable success there so that you're actually getting sort of mixed clutch, you know, mixed lineage clutches, which is actually advantageous biologically, and we probably missed out on that when we say, no, it's going to be this pair, and because we only yep. put in that one particular pair, we have nothing about which to uh, assign our little lineage chart that looks so beautiful. Don't we have Warren yeah. Booth in our back pockets to, to handle that for us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think um, it just kind of varies. Um, so I'll give a quick breakdown and example. Um, you know, the one of the first years that um, I was able to, we did that group import from Dan. Yeah. And Eric got some, Chris got some, Riley got some, I got some. And so we we'll call those farm hatched offspring. Now, I've talked to enough importers and uh, from different, who work with different farms. And so regardless of the rules and regulations over there, um, simple fact is this, sometimes a female is collected that's gravid and 
she's taken to the farm, she lays eggs, and then they hatch them there, and you get farmed hatched. Or sometimes they collect 1.1 and they keep them on the farm and breed them, and then they hatch them, and then you get farmed hatched that way. And then the other way is that they see a female on a clutch of eggs, um, and they either take her at that time or find new babies that are technically wild-born, but they're called farm-hatched. That's the reality of things, whether someone agrees with it or not. That said, regardless of the specific backgrounds, um, they get split up, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'm pretty sure it was that first um, group that we did. Um, Billy in Florida, Billy Hunt, got some from Dan as well. And then... If I'm not mistaken, Tony ended up getting one from Riley or Terrell um, from that same group. Mm -hmm. And so when the babies are all sent, they're sent for the most part in one big bag. And so if you have five different clutches, you could in theory end up with one baby from each clutch, which the parents, in theory, totally unrelated. And the babies would be totally unrelated if they were mixed, but you have no way of knowing. Well, at the same time, you got Billy working one line in Florida, which are related to Riley's or mine or Eric's or so on. Um, and so it kind of gets convoluted in that sense. Okay. We're starting up with potentially F1s. Right. Um, and so they are further removed from all our CBB stuff. And so even if somebody bought 1.1 uh, offspring from Billy in Florida, and then we'll just say for this example, I had bred his breeder animal siblings that, you know, we didn't know uh, together, and they bought a pair for me, and then they swapped the pair to try and outcross. They're still pretty outcrossed. As we know with reptiles, we don't see inbreeding depression, generally speaking, for quite a few generations. And so if somebody, say, works Riley's line or Katz's line or whoever's line for seven generations and then buys the opposite guy's line, which is truly related, but it's a further back generation, you still are kind of outcrossing when you look at it and you start to understand genetics and inbreeding and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm with you there. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I I didn't actually... I, I just... The ones that we got in that first shipment, I just assumed that they were all from the same clutch. That's interesting that uh, you're saying that sometimes they're not related. But there's no way to know. But there is one there's thing... There's no way to know. know. There is one thing you do know. <laughs> that they're pure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We yeah. can use the P word with, uh, with IJs, you know. Um, yes, that is for sure. <laughs> there's no bull. Um, and I guess that's why I'm saying that it's kind of important because, you know, if we're working with these wild caughts, uh, captive hatch, uh, you know, F1s, whatever you want to say, uh, whatever you're, you, you have the ability to work with, you know, I think it's important that we sort of, you know, set these things straight now because we realize what we're dealing with when it comes to jungles and coastals, you know, um, and the mess that, <laughs> that we've inherited 
because people are just trying to produce Jags, if you will. Um, right. I know that's a little harsh, but uh, there's some truth to that. Um, I mean, when it comes to down to it also, if you guys have sold anything else that you didn't produce the animals from, you got them from a different breeder, mm-hmm. and then you sold the offspring, and one of your customers tags you in a post and says, in, in the example of me, cats line jungles. Well, I have never imported jungles, and so they, no jungle has ever been my line, but that's just how the customer refers to them, whether they truly believe it's my line or they're just kind of using it as a reference point. We see that stuff too. So to call farmed IJs that you breed to each other, your line, in my opinion, isn't wrong. Yeah. I mean, well, let, let me ask this question. Chris, how do you have your, your group set up as far as, like, what, when are you looking just for, I know you talked about, um, you know, striping and stuff, and you're looking for reduced patterns or certain looks or whatever. I mean, are you buying in, you know, a certain amount of animals with the intent of outcrossing at some point, or are you just looking at um, just trying to intensify the stripe? Let's stick with stripes, if you will. What's, what's your approach? Uh, so with the stripe stuff, none of what I have is related, mm-hmm. other than that, um, other than that reduced pattern stuff, which is all pretty striped. Also, they're all related, mm-hmm. but everything else is uh, wild caught stuff. But it's all from different uh, groups, I guess. So I have stuff from like I have a striped male from Stephen that he had gotten from Dan, right. and then I have two stri- females from Outback, but I got them maybe like two years apart. Uh, but I wouldn't call them, I mean, maybe I'd call them, I guess, like my line of striped animals. Once I really refined mm-hmm. the stripe, set it apart from something else. But if I just bred, you know, my, my wild-caught animals together, I wouldn't put a label on it until I actually did something with it to make it stand out. If that makes sense. So how do you, how would you differentiate to somebody that, or maybe we don't need to, but I don't know. I'm like, how would you differentiate that, you know, these are unrelated to what you would get in the state or what you would get from somebody else or, you know, I don't know, pick a, a GQ animal or something. Or the clutch they got from you the year before, right? Something, even as simple as that. Right. Yeah, I would think just attaching the, the, you know, the year I got it and, uh, you know, you can kind of estimate the, the age of it by uh-huh. looking at it. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's obvious that they're not related. Um, you know, and then being wild caught, it's obviously not related to, you know, say a GQ animal or animal animal. Sure. Right. Yeah, no, more more in the perspective of once they're, in terms of stuff you produce rather than saying, questioning your stuff, saying like, okay, if I get, you produce a clutch uh, last year, Chris, and I get something from you from that clutch. And then this year you breed two different wild caught ones that are different than the two wild caught ones from last year. Maybe it, it gets more complicated if you mix in captive bred stuff or whatever, but say to make it as simple as possible, year one, you breed wild caught A to wild caught B and then, this next year you breed wild caught C to wild caught mm-hmm. D. Do you label them in some way to say like, oh, this is C D versus A and B? 
Yeah, I, I haven't reached that point yet, but I probably would. Right. Uh, you know, and then, like I said, once I started, once I started making something of those breedings where, uh, you know, like with the stripe stuff, you see the, the tiger line, the tiger yep. IJs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know. At some point, can I, I call my stripe stuff my line of tiger IJs? Because I've refined it to the point where, you know, I'm producing those stripes all the time. The same way you're right, getting I mean, the, the postals. Yeah, it's to me, it's the same thing as you know, sort of what we talked about earlier in the conversation about the VP, the questions about the VPI quote VPI bloodline. Well, if you just breed a pair of wild caught animals, are we calling it that or not? And it's it's just sort of semantics and stuff, but. The answer, you know, to answer the question directly, I would say, yeah, you can call those the crystal emmy stripes. You can call them crystal emmy tigers. You can call them whatever the heck you want. I like salemi stripes. And I, I don't mean <laughs> salemi yeah, stripes. I, I think that's good. I'm not naming say? my animals. The way, I don't name my animals the way you do. So it's hard for me <laughs> to, you know, I'm not putting a name on the animal. And like, like you have a poison ivy animal, so. It's it's easier for you to label it, mm-hmm. whereas I just have you know like IJ number five. You know what I'm saying? Right, 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 right. Mumbo number five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know what you mean, though. It's like I, I, most of my other snakes, I don't name, but, and I don't even know if I would have named Poison Ivy, but that's what I I didn't name Molly Ringwald, you know. So mm-hmm. like, I sort of inherited those things, and I just kept those names. Um, the IJ Valkyrie, or I don't even know if I say that right, but yeah, that one. Valkyrie. <laughs> Valkyrie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, I, I didn't name her either. I think for the importance of what we're into in terms of keeping things pure, lineage, things like that, background, um, that's the sole reason that I name my animals. And most of them, um, were named by, I'll, I'll make a post and, hey, what do you suggest um, for a name? It's a male or a female or family and friends uh, will chime in with the name or any number of things like that. And so I name them to keep track. Right. Now, this year is, I've done uh, farmed hatch to wild caught. I've done farmed to CBB. I've done farmed to F1s. Um, and this year is the first year that I will hatch wild-caught to wild-caught. Both were adults when they were imported, um, and it took a lot of time to get them established. Um, and when I say established, we're talking like eating no problem, right. um, not eating here and there, right. things like that. <clears throat> um, for me, I, I haven't decided if I will say cat's line or SBK reptile's line. Um, I will make a big deal of it for two reasons. One is it, it was tough to get them going. Uh, we're talking about big, big animals um, versus the small ones are just about no problem. But so for that aspect, um, you know, I'm going to make a big deal about it. The other one is that they're potentially unrelated to everything, you know, in the U.S. Right. And so for the people who care about that, um, it's going to be cool to have F1s from two wild-caught uh, parents sure. versus just kind of one wild-caught parent, 
to an F1 or things like that or farm to farm. It's a little bit different in my opinion. Of course, who knows what everyone else will think. Um, and so <laughs> I like to point that out. So here's a, um, otherwise, here, here's a question for you, Steve. Well, With all that work that you put into those wild caughts, are you going to let them go for 100 bucks? Are they dirt snakes? <laughs> I don't even know if I'm going to let them go because right. I don't know what, what they'll grow into. Right. You know, it will, will each individual baby have a different look? Will half the clutch look one way, half the other? Will it be a pattern thing? Will it be a color thing? Um, will they just look blah? Um, which is hard to do with an IJ if you ask me, but, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of just debating, just hold them all back, maybe release a couple to close people that I trust, um, and go from there. But yeah, if I sell them, um, it's, a it definitely won't be hundred dollar. Um, but I don't think I'm going to try and charge uh, on the on the flip side, a thousand dollars or something like that, ridiculous. Um, so why is it possible to get a thousand seven hundred and fifty for a new line jungle carpet, but not for <laughs> an IJ? I'm oh, not trying to say that point. they should be that price. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just I'm just curious on like why, you know. I don't know. Form accessibility, a big right? Part of it is. It's not, while I think they're worth every, every penny, mm-hmm. it's not really about the money. And so no, absolutely. let's say I was, let's say I was between charging 500 to a thousand, mm-hmm. you know, and I knew someone was going to pay a thousand and I knew someone was going to pay 500 just because I know someone would pay. It doesn't mean I would, I would go either direction. Um, it's just kind of, I don't know, almost like I would like to give back to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that sounds kind of corny, maybe like charity, but it's just, there's no, in my opinion, there's no need to charge that much. But at the same time, I think they're worth a thousand, if that makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. I think part of it Go ahead, is just to say that uh, people continually overestimate their own ability to do what someone else is doing and underestimate kind of what other people have done. Right. So in the case that you're laying out, it's like, it's a question of availability and people would say, Oh, I could totally get to, you know, small wild cots or adult wild cots or whatever IJs and, and just do that myself, ignoring all the difficulties and challenges that have gone into what you've actually done, right? They're overestimating their own ability to do it. And, simultaneously, right, then undervaluing, accordingly, they're undervaluing what you've done. So I think that's a big part of it. And part of it is just, so viewed through that lens, right, is, well, I could get sub-adult or adult IJs myself and do the same thing myself, ignoring, again, all the challenges pertinent to doing that. But uh, they kind of ascribe it that and value it accordingly, or at least some people do. Personally, I think that's fantastic, man. I congratulate you. I think that's really awesome. And so much of this, and in terms of the whole naming the line and all this stuff, we view it through the lens of happening now, but really a lot of this stuff is applied retroactively so that it's not to the diamond piping question that you had laid out, Eric, earlier. It's like, well, it's not that initially it was, oh, these will be the San Diego Zoo line diamonds versus Riverbank Zoo versus wherever else, right? It was just a question of saying, 
oh, we got diamond pythons. And then subsequently, 15 years down the line, descendants of those animals get uh, requisitioned off from riverbanks or whatever into the private trade. And people say, oh, these are riverbanks zoo. Same thing happens in San Diego. And in reality, those came from the same captive patch clutch that came through, you know, came through town from Pank or whatever from Peter Krause. But uh, people frame it as being the same, you know, as being different because we're applying that retroactively. I know we had had a long conversation about this, highlighting that a lot of those, the things that we assign clear labels to now, back in the 80s, did Don Boyer, was he in contact with Riverbanks simultaneously to say, oh, I just got diamonds from Tom this week. Oh, you did too? Okay, cool. I'll, I'll remember when I sell the F2 descendants from the, you know, 15 years from now, <laughs> when I surplus these out, I'll remember to say, oh, yeah, these are actually the same as Riverbank. Yeah, we, it's obvious that that's not the case. <laughs> right. But exactly. we view it through a different lens in the modern time. Trying to so think. back to the value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got putting it. on the F. Yeah. I would also say that with the way things are now, with the chance of not being able to bring animals into the country, uh, with the whole virus thing going on, the value of, of animals like, uh, you know, wild caught to wild caught breeding would probably go up also. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Steve, that's Steve it. was just trying to get validation to sell him for a thousand bucks. Now he's got it. So he's, he's he really is. That's the whole thing. Okay. Baseline you twisted my arm. I'll do it. Five hundred dollars. Five hundred dollars pop now. Period. Bottom. Okay. Line. Well, how about uh, gamma jags? How many times have those been outcrossed? And you know, depending on who you ask. It's outcrossing, diluting the gamma blood. Someone else, I just bred it to something else, but it's still got gamma blood. Um, and yeah, you see a post of someone yep. say, check out my gamma, and you're just like, is that mixed with a ball python? It's got a lot of brown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, I think I was having this discussion with Yasser about poster child stuff. You know, like, at what point does that, I mean, you're not breeding poster child to poster child. Can you call it a poster child line? I don't think so. I mean, you could say it's poster child lineage, or you could it's descended from poster child offspring. But I think if you're just calling it poster child IJs, it's sort of misleading, unless it's poster child to poster child or GQ. Pick a pick a pick a bloodline. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I you know, that's why Luke Luke called the uh, the one GQ, the male of the GQM pens, he called it GQ Outcross because he bred it to, he bought that from Caponetto that was bred to that real dark female, you know, not GQ to GQ. But, um, you know, and there's a striking difference between a GQ GQ animal and a GQM pen animal. Um, so... You know, I think you can only call it that if it's that line, if it makes sense. That's my opinion. What do you guys think? I think we should just keep them straight and call them IJs. <laughs> <laughs> don't get into all that. I guess the Chondro world, they don't really do bloodlines, right? I don't ever hear them talk about their more names, if you will. 
Yeah. You know, like names of animals. Maybe that's the way to go. Well, they do breeder names or names of animals. Right. But we do that sometimes too, right? I mean, Gamma 5, uh, Highlighter, uh, Madam Blueberry. Right. Benjamin, Madam Blueberry, yeah. Uh, and then it's weird because Will Leary's would be Reptilicus. You don't say Leary line. Yeah, you say Reptilicus. Yep. Um, but, uh, all right, cool. Let's talk about, I don't know, um, the projects that uh, we have going on. Um, I don't know, Riley, what do you, what, what's your most exciting um, IJ project for now and maybe, like, say, in the next couple of years? Uh, uh, for, for my long-term stuff right now, the most exciting thing is my, uh, my reds, my red line. Um, I'll be the first to say that I'm working towards establishing a line of red, uh, IJs, poplins, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so my, my first production of IJs, poplins, whatever, um, was from two two animals that actually came in from that first group that Stephen uh, uh, facilitated, Steve Cass here, uh, for the listeners. And I raised them up, they produced, and I kept uh, a trio back, and the male was just red, and then he shed, and then he was still red, and then he shed again, and he was still red. And when he fires up now, he's like pink, orange, red, like rainbow sherbet and it, he's just insane uh so i named him red man and uh i'm really excited to put him to a female that came out with some of the same pigment not quite as uh intense as as he is but that would be sort of the first step in really refining that and and aiming for uh going with that red color and i just really want animals that are like red and not red light Did yeah. you produce any this season? No, she didn't want to go again this year. Um, she was the only adult that uh, that I had that was capable, and I didn't uh, I didn't really push her that hard after after uh, last season. So Fair enough. yeah, yeah. So she's taking a year off, and she's come back with a vengeance. She's actually kind of <laughs> ferocious now. I gotta watch my fingers around her. She's crazy. <laughs> right on. <laughs> I don't know. Did you guys notice the difference between like uh, I don't know? They're vicious, man. Holy shit, those F ones. <laughs> they're God. they're all awful. Every single one of them is the spawn of Satan. They're the worst babies I've ever had. <laughs> Eat good, but good lord. Yeah, they ate right away. First feeding, no problem. Frozen thawed, boom. Never looked back. But right. damn it, they bite. You should you change guys? red to devil line. <laughs> devil line? There you go. Well, uh, yeah. hey, it's, all, it's always up for discussion. We'll see. You know, if the F2s come out, like, even meaner, then maybe there's something to it. Maybe I'm breeding for uh, a red gene and an angry gene. <laughs> Without even knowing. <laughs> the angry yeah. Ball pythons ain't got nothing on me going for breeding for mentality. There you go. <laughs> I'm breeding soldiers. They're breeding rocks. <laughs> what about you, Chris? What were the angry balls? I don't remember. Angry balls. <laughs> was that like the Angolan ball python? Yeah, that's it. Angolans. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I think so. Yeah. 
I thought they were called bumpy balls, but no, it's angry. Balls. The super angry ball. The, the super angry ball is the uh, the Angolan ball python in blood. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry, Chris. We derailed your uh, telling us about your exciting season with all this ball python talk. I apologize. Um, I would say the reduced pattern stuff that I hatched out. Uh-huh. Uh, I still have the entire collection. Um, and because that's also, and then I also have all that right uh, uh, but they're not just striped on the back. They have, I don't know if you know it, but some of them tend striping along the neck mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind extending that down the side, the whole body. That would be cool. Yeah, very cool. So you burnt that whole clutch, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them weren't the best eaters to start. It just took, you know, it just took a little longer. Then the winter came, right. and then trying to tip anything out now is just—I don't want to take any chances. There's too much going on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I don't mind holding on to them. Yeah, good call. Yeah, they're cool. Okay. You know, that's how you end up getting rid of something you like. You know, you do it too soon. <laughs> yes. And then you raise it up a year later, and you. Really regret that decision. Yeah, I know a certain person that has a citrus tiger head albino that. Uh... <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> Actually, I know two people that have citrus tiger head albinos, and I'm talking to them right now. Uh, yeah, man. But uh, yeah, cool. Um, you want it back? Or don't breed anything. <laughs> don't breed? Oh shit! Uh, I sold you a defective snake. I apologize. Um, yeah, so what about you, Steve? Um, well, real quick, so I sent that picture in the group chat, um, and that I think is a perfect example of I have this snake that is, came in that same group that Riley has his red stuff for, from, and I named her Red because everything he described has been her. She just kept shedding and she still got that red, especially right after a shed. It's kind of unique. And so would you assume the clutch mates? Is it uh, polygenic? Is it a mutation? Um, who knows? But the difference is Riley's got a pair of them, whereas I just have one. And let's say they are all siblings. Um, it'll be interesting to see one, I would hope, um, based on what he's working with, um, that maybe I could send my female his way or we could do a project together, but it'll be interesting to see if he continues that and I just continue working with breeding her to something else and seeing, you know, kind of how the lines split at that point and become unrelated, but started somewhere um, one in the same, if you would. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, interesting to see, you know, in terms of the talking about different lines. Uh, as far as what I'm most excited for this year and in the coming years, um, probably for this year, my uh, wild caught by wild caught. 
you know, seeing what they produce, how do those babies look, um, and then I'll, I'll compare them to um, a, bo uh, a clutch that I bred Boa Cabana male to uh, this red female um, and kind of comparing that. As for future years, um, I have some cool orange stuff, weird pattern stuff, um, but really excited to breed my Xanthic to a striped female uh, that's a wild pot, as well as a striped farmed hatch to this wild caught female. Um, his stripe is a lot uh, thicker, and hers would be uh, closer to what uh, we know as the tiger line in IJs, much thinner. Gotcha. So, okay. well, that's cool, man. That's some cool stuff. For sure. How many pairings do, uh, do you do? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Riley. I was just going to say, Stephen, I put a photo of that uh, that male in the chat for you to see. That was like the photo that really defined his color after like five or six sheds in. He's still just as hot as ever. He's just harder to photograph because he's a jerk. Right. And I would say the big difference, yours is like screaming red and the yellow on it is incredible. So you got, and, and even the black is pretty clean. Um, you got the that's uh, you've seen me comment on your snake that it's a badass snake yeah he's, he's something special for sure yeah it's interesting how the um i don't know what you would call them uh you know the the yellow pattern that has the black outline really doesn't hit it kind of just cuts off at the bottom and it's like kind of washed yeah. you know that's that's pretty wild yeah, and he, you know, that's the, the awesome thing about these animals is he'll change uh, day to night. Usually his, uh, he looks the best at 6 a.m. and, and 6 p.m. Uh, without fail. So there's definitely something to the way the, the chromatophores and their skin works because he changes night to day, 100%. I was going to ask that, Rob. Maybe you can uh, shed some insight into that. What's going on there? Is that just like, why does it seem like a whole bunch of snakes from Papua New Guinea seem to change color? Or even from top right, of I mean, Australia? Yeah, 100%. I guess it's a reflection of the temperature conditions, right? Presumably that you'd, snakes in colder places want to be dark and stay dark. And you associate that with being gravid and things and seeing changes there. But I don't know. I, certainly we see it with poplin pythons, the actual poplin pythons. We see it with Owen Pelley's, uh, certainly IJ Carpus. All the Candelia, which are not related at all, show the same thing from the Solomon, but essentially the same latitude, just, what, 500 miles east or whatever. Right. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's something that's not really well studied. I know Nick has talked about it a little bit and kind of came to the same conclusion that we can speak more to the biological processes that are occurring than we can to the why. Uh, I think there's very clearly we're seeing something where they get uh, tend to get lighter at night and they get darker when they're gravid, but occasionally then that'll sort of reverse. So I, I think that's a known unknown, man. I wish I had a better answer, but I'll I'll claim a known unknown on that. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I just I just thought you know what would be the thoughts behind that, but very cool. Um, okay, I mean everybody knows as far as my stuff because I talk about it all the time. But like, uh, you know, um, 
poison ivy being one um, that continues to baffle me. Um, just as far as uh, was that the original clutch that came in that you just posted? Yeah, that was just a handful that uh, Dan shared with Stephen, who he he circulated throughout the group, and you can see the the differences between some of the yeah. just your yeah. standard average wild types and those ones that have something else going on. Like everything's red in there, but there are things that are super red. And let's let's be real though. Before we forget, remember when Vin Russo was talking about how he found the blood gene? Mm-hmm. Uh. Ring any bells here? This is exactly how this sort of stuff <laughs> happens. It starts with somebody having an eye for it, then just being like, hmm, that's different. I'm going to hold on to that, and I'm going to pursue that, and then 25 years later, you know? So that, that's all I have to say on that. Right. Good Lord. I'll be like <laughs> the 60s, bro. Holy shit. <laughs> you well, that's the thing. Usually it falls into the ether because people don't. But... Eric, you've got a great track record in terms of doing a show every week for almost 10 years. So I think <laughs> you have the stick to to actually uh, maybe see it through. Keep it and we down. can only hope to emulate that. Yeah. You know, I don't know about you guys, but this year I noticed that these, so uh, the, the, you know, we're talking about red. I hatched out these IJs from um, GQM pen, PC Bell stuff. And holy shit, man, were they red. Me likey. Really red. Like, redder than I've ever <laughs> seen it. Uh, I am just was taken back by it. I've, I've never seen them that red. And I hatched out another clutch, which, um, you know, was the banded stuff, and that would be, they were F3s, and they're not, they're more of your typical red IJ. But holy shit, the banding. Good God. It's like perfect banding. It's like the Johnny Blaze of IJs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man um but uh but yeah those two uh clutches in particular i'm real excited about this year um you know uh actually uh, poison ivy um is one that like i said continues to stump me and i continue working with that um you know my thought of looking at it is now just speculating i think it's something similar to like an img thing um, that you see in boas. Right. That's that's my guess. Um, they hatched out normal, and now they're almost 100% black. So, on the tops. And that's the sort of thing that, that used to be sort of a kick to death for a project, at least in terms of commercial interest. But now that the IMGs exist and people are more familiar with it, I think that expands the window for uh, sort of delayed onset genetic stuff it probably still means you have to hold on to it but i think just generally the public acceptance or interest in those projects is probably different than it was even five years ago let alone 15 years ago right absolutely yeah i think uh eric your snakes just brown out so you should just send them to me <laughs> sure <laughs> um See, uh, you guys are working on red. I'm working on orange. Orange to me is uh, is where I'm going with a lot of my projects. Orange and striped. Um, I love that flame uh, that comes in. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where. I'm, and high yellow stuff. I have some high yellow stuff, um, but uh, I love it with the. I don't just like the things that could pass as jungles. Um, 
I like the <laughs> the three colors, uh, if you will. Um, you know, the black, the yellow, and then that flame. You know, whether it's orange or even if it's brown, just you know, a little bit of a, of a difference. The EB tricolor line. <laughs> You'll want to go with that for yeah. marketing purposes. Yeah. See. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Kind of like that, Stephen. Exactly. But more of that yeah. uh, orange <laughs> that's in the saddles. But yeah. So what are they? They're um, what? Wild caught, right? Yeah, that's the same snake. It's a wild caught animal. Isn't that and amazing that it looks it like just, that? <laughs> yeah, it just glows. Right. And it's funny because somebody commented and said, nice jungle. Um, <laughs> you know, joking. Yeah. But... It, it kind of reminds you of that because yeah. you don't see that. Whereas for orange, you know, I have this other one, but the problem then becomes, I would say like for you guys, I don't know. I feel like with the IJs, I see somebody else's project. I'm like, that's cool. I want to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to do my own thing, but I'm like, that's cool. For me, it's hard to see the end goal, especially if I just have one animal, you know, it, versus two of this same type or like animals. Yeah, I think it's like Riley said, though. It's kind of like one of those things where you pick a trait that you like and you kind of just try to refine that as best you can, you know, whether it's red, orange, yellow, mix of the three. Um, yeah. Reduced pattern like Chris got going on. Imagine like, I uh, wonder what a reduced pattern in a grand. That's, I mean, we didn't even touch on morphs in this show i mean but we have to say that the exanic ij is hands down way better than the coastal in my opinion yes for sure yeah thousand percent yeah i can't wait to i can't oh my god my hats i got from you are jerks they're evil man but, yeah they're they're some of the most malicious animals in my room um but I really do look forward to seeing uh, some black and silver uh, IJs because now that I've seen what Coastal's hatch out as, I'm like, oh, no, I want to see those now. Yeah, I just have like a ghost wash. Yeah, that's what it reminds me too, Chris. Yes, 100%. Damn. That's, that's a VBI animal. Badass. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, that, that animal's on their website, but I think they said it changed colors. If I, if I remember the story correctly. Oh, really? Like it got brighter or it got worse? <laughs> like I think it, it just kind of browned out. I don't think it stayed that way. Oh, wow. Bummer. That sucked. <laughs> Way to bring the room down, I'll, I'll, Slimmy. I'll still take it. Send it <laughs> uh, Yeah, very cool. Hey, real quick. I know my IJ spent a ton of time in their water bowls. What goes on? I mean, do you guys agree? Is there a consensus here that they just love sitting in their water bowls and you don't have mites? Um, yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have quite a few that do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I used to get real worried when I saw it, but now I'm just used to the IJs doing it. They, they seem to do it all the time, especially when they're younger. Yeah. Uh, and that, that one wild-caught female, that older animal, she spends almost her whole – she'll spend a lot of time buried in the substrate, but she does 
She does spend a lot of time stuffing herself in a water bowl. I have to keep making it smaller. <laughs> wow. That's funny. <laughs> Got to make it bigger. Got to think the opposite way. Make it bigger. And obviously, uh, <laughs> Steve, you have them because you sent all the pictures you sent are in water bowls. <laughs> yeah. That's all they do. Yeah. Okay. In fact, somebody on Instagram commented saying that it's because I have mites. And I just laughed. And they're like, I zoomed in. I could see a mite. And I'm like, no, dude, you don't. Not here. Right. No, man. <laughs> not with YouTube mites. Especially not with, the, uh, <laughs> right? not with the Instagram resolution. You're certainly not seeing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, yeah. I but also, presumably, I'm in their water more when they're field collected or wild caught. Um, which makes me wonder, um, regardless of the temps that we see or that we know to be over there, um, are we maybe keeping them too hot? Um, do they just like, you know, the water? Uh, do they like somewhere be, uh, more secure like most snakes? Um, it does get you thinking. Now, do you guys offer a hide? 100%. Yeah. Any kind of hides at all for your, for your stuff? Yeah, I do, especially I, for the wild cuts. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hide, hides. Uh, for I have hides with all of my larger animals, and for the juveniles, they have paper towel rolls, and they either spend all the time in the hides or cruise around at night or on hot days like today. Most of them are usually, you know, near the, near the water or in it. I picked up an awesome tip for a hide on Carpet Pythons TV. Here it is. Egg crates. Like the, you, what you would put in that, like if you were buying 18 dozen eggs, right? Oh, that little yeah. package mm-hmm. that all the eggs are in? Uh-huh. You cut that up into the size of like a hide in the cage, put it in there. They can sit on top of it. They can coil in the little things underneath. They can, you know, uh, kind of perch on the top of it. It's, yeah, they use it a lot. It's really cool. Obviously, it's for babies. Yeah, it's very common with the, yeah, very common with Rakadakis in terms of keeping those to, to offer that. And you can purchase it, you know, 500 layers or whatever at a given time for not terribly much. So, yeah, I 100%, man. I would think that the water thing maybe is a reflection, too, of what we see or used to see in terms of old-school rosy bow keeping, right, where depending on your local conditions, people would uh, withdraw the water based on the fact that, they have only seasonal availability to that kind of uh, constant availability to that water so that there's a time of year when they have it and time of year when they do not so that when they have it, they overexpose to it. So it might be the same sort of thing where in that lowland, you know, southern lowland savanna habitat in Papua New Guinea, they're only ex- accessing standing water for a portion of the year. So that when they have it, they overexploit it. That's probably what we're seeing. The combined with temperature thing, too, obviously, you know, being in water is going to reduce the temperature. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Cool. In regards but that would be the, my uh, guess. Is it's... Oh, go ahead. Oh, what were you going to say? No, that was it. It was, just, it was just to say that I think that it's probably what we're seeing with that is probably a reflection of seasonal seasonal availability of water so that they're just programmed to exploit it when they have it. Right. Which makes sense. Um, you know, 
get it while the getting's good, right? <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, yeah. To backtrack real quick on the egg crate comment, um, you know, it's something that is so simple and so easy. I feel like we, as a community in general, we should share those little tips and tricks um, because we overthink it. We just think, ah, this is a cool little tool, makeshift thing that works well for us. And other people are looking for the answer and mm -hmm. 3D printing something. Um, but here's one I'm going to send to the group chat. Just a wire hanger that I use for hatchlings. Um, and sometimes big animals that really want to squirm away and you can't get that big hook under them. Um, it's a makeshift thing. And at this point, if wire hangers didn't exist and I knew this did and it was sold as a snake hook, I'd probably pay $100 for it because it's just it's <laughs> so helpful. Good? Really? It's that, yeah, for, for little babies, I mean, you, um, having a vision rack, you could hook them on that um, and then you flip it upside down and hook it on top of the rack and they're just sitting there perched hanging and you do whatever you need to do. Um, oh, I got I'll it. have to show a picture of that. I mean, it's such a versatile tool and it's just a little wire hanger. That's, that's pretty cool, man. I'm going to have to adopt that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is very cool. It definitely goes back to the old world Asian rat snake conversation in terms of minimal contact. That I know that that was an old school trick in terms of rather than using a snake hook that's a thicker diameter, you would actually straighten out the hook and utilize, uh, straighten out the coat hanger and utilize that as a hook instead. So 100%. None of us, we, we all have the same ideas over and over, right? That's always, <laughs> that's always the case. Yeah, right. Yeah. Cool, man. Very cool. Yeah, those little tips and tricks, you're right, uh, Stephen. Uh, mm -hmm. They really do make a difference. And, um, you know, when we're doing the show, there's a lot of times that we'll just randomly say stuff. And, like, you know, we get, like, emails and messages and stuff saying, like, oh, my God, that's the greatest thing. I never thought about that. And. You know, you don't think about it. You just think it's something stupid that you're doing, you know? <laughs> like, like, nobody's going to care about this. <laughs> that kind of deal. Right. But, uh, cool. Yeah, and I got the wire hanger from Dan Grubbs when he was showing me how to work with uh, hawks, uh, rattlesnakes and stuff. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Um, <clears throat> we kind of hit on... Um, you know, uh, is there anything, well, let me ask this question. Is there anything that you see somebody else producing that you're excited about? <laughs> With you, Riley. Uh, Keith McPeak's Bowlins. Bowlins? What are you talking about? IJs were talking. <laughs> well, I thought you were talking about Same continent, I know, but... Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Like, it um, reminds me of dude, where's my car? When he's like, I would have said brown. <laughs> <laughs> no, as far as uh, as far as ideas go, I'm really curious to see. Uh, actually, some of Steven's stripe projects intrigue me because mm -hmm. I know he's been collecting and amassing quite a group, and he's several years <laughs> ahead of a lot of us, but. Uh, Anybody working with Tiger IJ stuff, I want to see those go down a couple more generations. Yeah, for sure. Okay. 
What about you, Chris? Definitely. Oh, maybe Chris is asleep. Yeah, it broke up for me, so yeah, he probably didn't hear you. Oh, sorry. Anything excite you, Chris, from, from somebody else's uh, with pairings or anything? Uh, I'm pretty excited about the Exantic Granite stuff. I mean, I know, I know they've been yep. produced already, but I love seeing those pop up. That's probably one of my favorite combinations. Yeah, that is, uh, it is breathtaking. You know what's crazy about that is I have all these double hats. Nobody was interested in getting them. Although, wait, 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 wait. You're yeah, sitting what? on a stack of double hats? What? I'm sitting in a whole clutch of double hats. <laughs> <laughs> what? All right, PM sent, PM sent. Yeah, you, you, we'll, we'll talk, you know. You not advertising things doesn't mean people aren't interested. That's just true. For the record. That's yeah. true, Rob. Yeah, yeah, that's my fault. That's my own. Uh... Eric shows up to an AA meeting and he's like, I got a case of beer in my trunk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you also talk about you always talk about how you don't sell stuff, which could be why no one contacted you about them. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Good point. This is uh, this is good talk, guys. Good talk. I really appreciate the. Uh, yeah. Owen doesn't give me this truth. You know what I mean? He doesn't. He doesn't lay the truth down for me. You mean Eric, Owen didn't buy all your ideas? Oh hell no. Eric. Eric, we got your back. We only ask a pair of double heads each. Oh, there you go. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I had, I sold one pair at Tinley, and I think I have – what do I have? Um, I want to say I have 6.8. Good Lord. Wow. You might have a All couple right, available. Okay. Yeah. I thought, Eric, I thought you were going to say that at the show, uh, since they weren't selling or something, you sold them as normals. I thought it was going to be that extreme. <laughs> Good Lord, though. No. I thought about that, but... Uh, Just crossed the aisle to Triple L, man. Yeah. It, was, it was a quick trip. Yeah. How you know, dare you? I think of those old reptile radio shows where, like, you know, they would be on there and they would be breeding, and then all of a sudden they would pop out some crazy morph from... Um, from normal ball pythons, and they're like, "Oh, this is a different line of so and so, or whatever. This is a different line of albino." <laughs> and it's like, "No, man, <laughs> we just sold as a normal." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was wholesale to place X, Y, and Z. Right? Wasn't that the uh, the lightning pied? Wasn't that the case with that? Wasn't that picked up at a pet shop or something like that? Then in the uh, Mark Man. Yeah, it was just that there was hidden exantics in there. Yeah, that he wasn't. Yeah, it was that it was so subtle. Right. Gosh. Okay. All right. So now I know that you guys are interested in um, double hats. But I'm with you, man. They're cool um, for sure. And even the uh, double hats are different looking. They're very dark. Very dark. I'll have to take some pictures yeah. and send them to you guys so you can see it. See what I'm talking Bring about. Up on the dark. Here's where Nick brings up the whole incomplete dominant versus actual simple recessive question. <laughs> I'm not touching you know, that one. Oh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I mentioned that in uh, my last YouTube video, and I just kind of stated where the status of it was, and I just left it at that because, personally, I don't know. I see both sides of the argument, and I just don't know. So I'll say that I have, you know, with that group that I hatched out, there were 14 animals, mm -hmm. and there are some red, but there are some that are, that you would think they were just exampant. Mm -hmm. So I see 
uh, collars in them. Yeah, my original Xanax clutch that I hatched out of IJ's had the same experience, Chris. Same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where Paul and Nick is coming from with the with their observation of that. At least that's my impression from what they were saying. I think you're not wrong if you say heterozygous. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, that's Stephen. That's totally right. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter what what you say. It, you know, it, it, it's yeah, true it for applies, both. It applies to incomplete, dominant, and simple recessive in its mode of inheritance because. When you're just speaking in terms of genotyping, it doesn't matter what you see. It just ter- it just matters what the the genetic code says. So it doesn't matter. Right. That's a fair point. Yeah, I never yeah. thought about it that way, but true. Either way, you're going to take this animal and produce a visual. You know. Yeah. Exactly. It has a single copy. That's what that's what it means. How yeah, exactly. whatever the visual expression is, it has a single copy of that gene. Exactly. So whether single what, copy. <laughs> yeah. So if 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 you if you fall in the the camp of recessive, and I hate to call it a camp because it's not like it's a, a division. It's it still needs more research and exploration, in my opinion, and more uh, more data and just more you know sort of quantification of it all. But like if you if you if you sit with the side of understanding that it is a simple recessive, you call things head exanic or visual exanic. If if you're sitting in the incomplete dominant you call it exanic and either super exanic or homozygous exanic. <laughs> I don't I don't know what, what you do. It's not out there really so right. but that's more or less how it would break down. Right, that gets into the herpeticulture fiction, you know, the language of fictional language of herpeticulture, right, where we say super, right. which is utterly meaningless scientifically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yes, no, homozygous no, exanthic, right, versus yeah, heterozygous, no whatever the expression. Yeah, no other sex of genetic or breeding or animal things use the word super for their homozygous animals. All right. Yeah. So, I think, regardless, <laughs> we could all agree that you could call them that you would be making IJs, right? <laughs> True. Unless you call them. We went, we went through that whole discussion. <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. boy. Steven. Circle back, Steven. man. It's full yeah, circle now. Steven, catch up. I want you to see. We're, we're two you hours in. You got to call him. What do we call? Go ahead, brother. Oh, I was just saying, Steven, catch up. We're two hours in. <laughs> I was going to say yeah, the first one of y'all to call them Netherlands New Guinea carpets. That you know, that's uh, that's where I'll go out on a ledge and give you the thumbs up. <laughs> Netherlands New Guinea carpets. Yo, that's people would yeah. be uh, you know thinking you have some kind of something special, man. You could charge a thousand dollars for those. I bet. Oh right. <laughs> As, I, I was into this before 1962. That's all you'd have to say. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that applies for any of us being even alive. But if you, if you could pull that off, then, yeah, man, that's, that's just how I know it. It's always, you know, it'll always be Burma to me. <laughs> right on. Oh, man. So I guess this sort of ties into the last thing we'll chat about is um, the tiger versus stripe we kind of hit on. But the tiger line, right? Um, produced this, uh, we're going to call it the albino crayon. <laughs> uh, uh, 
great. I know we've talked about it a million times on NPR, but um, I don't know. I know, Stephen, this was something that you had on the list. Yeah, did you want to talk about something specific about it? How awesome it was? How awesome it would be if we actually hatched out an animal that looked like that? What What were your thoughts? So I go back and forth with it. Um, you know, you look at the pictures, and then it goes to the back of your memory, and then you think back on it, and you're like, I was just a preemie, so it didn't have all its red yet. Then you look at the picture, and you're like, well, if the picture isn't, you know, uh, altered, that's probably an albino. And you just go back and forth, at least I do. And so I definitely have hope for it. You know, it would be cool um, because then you can make uh, a pure snow. You can make a pure uh, albino granite. Just you could do more um, than we currently are, but at the same time, um, then you worry about the people who would go after the money grab and inbreeding depression since it's a recessive and look at what happened with granites. Yes. But yes, I have hope and it looks that picture that floats around is really cool. Um, and I think it would be really awesome if, uh, if it panned out. I agree. Do you guys have any thoughts? Well, what is, yeah. yeah, I mean, what, it's supposed to be, generally speaking, the incidence of that is about 1 in 10,000, so that it, all things being equal, that's sort of the number. So I would think at some point it seems like the sort of thing that will crop up, it's a question of whether it's being picked off by some bird or a legitimate popwin python or whatever before, <laughs> before it uh, gets collected so that we haven't seen it yet. But it's certainly that mutation crops up and I would think that it's probably the sort of thing that assuming Indonesia doesn't close or the United States doesn't close to the importation of all wildlife um, and I don't really feel like, I don't know why I brought that up because I'm the least interested in pursuing that topic um, but uh, you know, assuming those things don't happen, I think it's bound to happen eventually whether it goes to someone who then pursues it uh, to its fullest extent and gets it spread out to you all or not. I think that maybe that's an open question, but certainly that's a mutation that's very common and has actually an established number on it, though things with things like crested geckos and things have gone well past that number without producing it. So it, obviously there are exceptions to the rule, but I, I would very strongly doubt that that would be a carpet since we've seen it in two other subspecies or at least forms of carpet. Right. The, the they hatched out of the same line as the tiger line, the boa cabana stuff. Um, I know myself and um, I know Kohler and Balin also are working with that uh, to see if they can somehow recreate that. Maybe, possibly, with that line. I mean, the problem is that that could have just been a random mutation. Correct. So that it's not even actually something to do with that lineage. It's just. Correct. It happened to hit the odds and be in a random mutation. But as Stephen pointed out, the problem is on anything that doesn't survive, you know, that is hatched premature and doesn't survive is you run into the dark pigment is the last thing to develop. So who knows? But in terms of actually being feasible, certainly it seems, seems possible. And I know Nick always highlights that generally speaking, when you get random mutation, it tends to be a single copy of that gene so that, which would support the idea that maybe that lineage has the potential to do it. There are hidden hats. It's just a question of getting 
you know, matching the right that are actually half, half of them should be half, right? But you can't tell the difference. And so sure. it's hitting that right combination, getting it to reappear. So there's certainly hope there. And I think the fact that you have them in Darwin's and Coastal's suggests that it's probably on or on the order of that 10,000. And you just got to keep producing plenty of beautiful IJs, man. Yeah, man, that's the bonus because the Boa Cabana stuff is beautiful. So, like, you know, you don't even really care about producing the albino, so to speak, if you will. But like, you're going to produce nice IJs even if you're working with that uh, with that line. So, if one were to pop Agreed. out from that line, you're just gonna that would just be the icing on the cake, if you will. So. Yeah. Then all the other carpets would just be left in the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> right, but uh, cool man. I don't know anything else you guys want to hit on. We're almost at uh, two hours here. Is that all? Yeah. <laughs> what? What? It's getting soft on us since old age, man. I, I want to hear everybody's input on, like, short and sweet or long and detailed. What the future of IJs is in their opinion. That's what I want to hear from everybody. Like, if, if anybody's listening to this, either be short and sweet if that's how you want to roll or, like, lay it out. But I want to hear what everybody's uh, opinion is on the future of IJs and hobby and as far as, like, their importance within Morelia because we know it's significant, but let's hear it. Who's going to start? You want me to start? I will. Go ahead, Katz. Um, I think the future is bright. We have so many different looks going on right now, a lot of which is new blood. So to have a different look and it be new blood, um, to just take that and run with it, I mean, between all the guys working with them, there's so much potential. We have uh, dark stuff. We have, I mean, Riley, you're working with that import that's dark. Um, Eric, you're working with dark stuff. I have some dark stuff. There, there's dark stuff all around, and that's just one look, um, and they're potentially all unrelated. Then you have white stuff, striped stuff, tiger stuff, uh, granite stuff if you go into the Morse. Um, Mike Cross is, I think, on F3s, and he's kind of, as I would say, got like a, a bunker over there. He doesn't share too much. I wish he would share more, but um, who knows? I mean, he may be on F5. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a ton of stuff, yeah. and uh, Jacob's doing stuff. Chris is, I mean, we're all doing stuff. So the future, in my opinion, is bright for many different looks. Yeah. Okay, I'll go with that. Um, I would say that... Um, to, to sort of piggyback on uh, Stephen's thoughts is that um, one of the, you know, things that that ste steered me in the direction of working with IJs in in mass as a majority of my carpets um, is just the fact that I felt that they were underappreciated in the hobby back in the early 2000s, and um, I just thought that uh, there was uh, there was a lot of potential that you could go and take them in different ways. And, and nobody was focusing on that. They were kind of, you know, uh, trying to breed jags and all that stuff. And 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 
jungles were you know real popular at the time as well and I, I just think that you know with those there's you know it's just like you're saying there's so much potential so many selective breeding projects that you could you know you could do I think as far as a carpet python I think they're they're pretty uh, they're, they're pretty easy going um, I know we talked about a few that were evil but for the most part I mean other than a few exantic <laughs> stuff that I have other than that all my stuff is chill um, you know, they stay a good size. They're a manageable carpet. Um, you know, you're looking at four to five foot. Um, I think it's just it's one of those. You know, put a little bit of color and spe and pizzazz into them, um, and I think you're going to uh, really see them take off in, uh, in the near future, um, in my opinion. And it's cool to see a lot of people working with them. I mean, a couple years ago, remember it was just me and Owen, and nobody really cared about them. <laughs> it was like, especially yeah. Owen. <laughs> so yeah. I would be so excited bringing him over to my place and saying, hey, check this out. Oh, that's just a dirt snake. Check this out. Oh, that's just a dirt snake. And I'm just like, God damn it, man. <laughs> Zach was the only one that was excited. Nah, he's about just jealous. Oh, that could be too. He was just jealous of what you had going, man. Yeah, maybe. But, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, each of the Morelia communities have their little sub-communities and... Um, I don't know. It seems to me like the IJs seem to be the least drama. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it seems to me to be um, definitely less drama than the Diamond Python group and the Jungle group, <laughs> if you will. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, I really, uh, really dig them. And um, yeah, that's all I got. Who's next? Chris, you want to go? I think you guys covered it pretty good i i don't have much to add to that okay well said man <laughs> <laughs> gotta love it short sweet and to the salami <laughs> oh man we're on the <laughs> that's right chris we got to do it right. right to the point or we get shot <laughs> yeah oh i feel it i love it thank you chris yeah. what's your thoughts riley I just think uh, we have nowhere to go but up, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, everything that comes in as imports or farm hash, you might as well look at it as being at the ground floor. And I think uh, the world is our oyster as far as IJs are concerned. We, we all have the potential to selectively breed for the traits we see with the animals within our collection. And uh, I don't think there's any anyone who can do wrong with it so it's i think it's only going to get better and i think you know what once was a hundred dollar boring brown snake is going to be you know a five six hundred dollars selectively bred line bred you know screaming color in whatever direction you're talking about whether it be pitch black or bright yellow and i think uh you know as much as i love jungles they only have two colors, and these things have like twelve. So uh, um, I think you're I think you're only going to see good things from the people uh, like us here and outside who are you know listening and interested that aren't here tonight. I think it's you know it's only going to go up. So I'm really really excited to be able to look back on this conversation five, 10 years from now and say, man, remember when it was only like this? 
And look what we got now. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's just going to be, it's, I can't even imagine it right now, to be completely honest. Like, I see what I see now, and sometimes I'm just like, holy crap, that's in my apartment? Like, that's right here? That's right here? And it's just, that's just going to be nothing in five, ten years. So I'm really excited. Look at all these morphs that popped up from those imports ten years ago. <laughs> I mean, that's always a possibility, right? Sure. Like, that that really is. Like, who knows what range these animals are collected from and the, the genetic uh, demographic that they encompass. And that's how ball pythons, you know, mutations come in. So who's to say there isn't the potential of hypos, uh, other lines of granites, uh, uh, genetic stripes, uh, patternless, you know, who the heck knows? Like, we really can't uh, foresee one way or the other. But as long as the importation is still open, there's always that, you know, pretty strong potential. Yeah. yeah. Rob, do you have any thoughts? Um, with y'all, I think to a large extent, right, this is a marketing the passion and time investment that folks have. That's that's what makes a market is the investment of time and the passion that people put forth in it. And y'all are a great example of doing that. And I think it'll only become more and more popular if you keep working with them and you keep putting it out there. That's just a natural reflection of all this stuff, right? Whether it's a question of books from the 1950s or uh, a website from the mid 2000s or whatever it is, it's a function of the passion that's being evidenced there. And everybody drink up, right? This is the NPR drinking game, after all. <laughs> <laughs> Toast it up. Yeah, right on. Eric has been saying passion an in, inordinately insufficient amount of weight. So I just <laughs> yeah, added three, three or four in there for you. Oh, there you go. I- <laughs> I'll tell you what gets well, me I passionate think it's totally about right. I mean, IJs. I'll tell you what gets me passionate yeah, about IJs. I mean, it's probably my favorite thing about them. That big, chunky head. Yeah. You know, like, they just have that head. And then, you know, um, on the labial, uh, you know, scales and stuff, they typically have, like, it's white. And then you'll see a lot of times they have little black markings, similar to, like, the Bolin's Python look, if you will. Um, but uh, I always love that. A little that in them. Yeah. One of my favorite things. 100%. So, yeah, man. We're all passionate about iChase, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll close on that. So uh, why don't you guys, uh, we'll start with Chris, just if somebody wants to get in contact with you or you have stuff for sale. You know, where do they get you and all that kind of stuff? And then we'll just go. Uh, I don't have a business page. Um, you can find me in most of the groups, mostly the IJ group. Uh, hopefully I'll be posting stuff sale soon. Cool. All right. All right. What about you, Steve? Um, well, mine is two parts. First is a question for all of you guys. Um, I think anyone who is really into IJs is going to be hyped up after hearing this, and then they're going to be like left with a cliffhanger. What are you guys producing this year for IJ specifically? What can we expect to see from each of you guys? Um, 
Okay, I'll go first. I have um, GQ M Pen PC Bell uh, stuff, which is that high red stuff that I got going on. Um, and then I have the banded stuff, which um, I can't wait to see how that uh, turns out because I have a K2 Eddy male that was bred uh, to, to that. So they would be F3s. Yeah, F3s. Um, and um, yeah, the banding on them are, like I said earlier, just nuts. I have uh, Boa Cabana Heck Granites in the incubator, uh, waiting on. Um, nice. And um, as far as IJs go, that's all I have this year. Yeah. All right. So next. So today I actually hacked out uh, Pots had granite. It was a pretty big train wreck of a clutch. So I'm pretty sure I only got one baby from it. But uh, yeah, that's about it for IJs. I gave most of my IJs the year off. Okay. Okay. Cool. What about you, Riley? I uh, I didn't produce any IJs this season. Oh, that's um, Yeah, no, I only had one female up to size. I have a 2015 female, but she's half the size she should be because of her upbringing. So uh, working on that, but otherwise, yeah, next season. Cool. What about you, Steve? Um, for me this year, I did a boa cabana male to a farmed hatch female. Um, I did the uh, wild caught to wild caught. Um, I did a striped male that's pure to a um, mutt striped female. So hopefully some striped stuff, but unfortunately not pure. And then I did some questionable double head Azanta granites. That's a repeat pairing. Struck out last year on the uh, double visual. Hopefully I hit this year. And that should be it for IJs this year for me. Cool. Rob, I know you got some cool stuff cooking over there, man, as far as IJs go. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> now I live vicariously through you, man. Okay. That's the whole thing. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like Matt and Borneo's, man. What, what am I going to chase that for? Right. I see the best. Right. I see the best going. I, I never but that be being said, everyone on this group has... Yeah, everyone on this group has fantastic stuff, and you know it's all it's all good, man. It's awesome. Cool, 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 cool. Nice. Right. So we got Chris. We got well, Steve. You didn't finish. Where where can I get in touch with you? Where's the best place? Follow you, all that stuff. Um, best place is probably Facebook, uh, Stephen Katz, uh, or my page, SBK Reptiles. Um. I haven't posted on YouTube in a while. I have Twitter and Instagram as well, at SBK Reptiles. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. All right. And then Riley? Uh, for me, it's just Riley's Reptiles on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Riley Jimison on YouTube, and Reptile Room Podcast, anywhere there's podcasts, and that's about it. Cool. Rob? Yeah, I play and chirp on Instagram, working on updating the websites and things, but so we'll stick with that tonight. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, man, it's been awesome. How about you, Eric? 
Everybody knows how to get in touch with me, and I'm not going to sell anything anyway. So what's the point? No. Oh my gosh! No, no, no I'm ebmorelia.net. Uh, I mean dot com, and um, uh, my email is Eric at ebmorelia. The show is moreypythonradio.net, and uh, info at moreypythonradio.com. And I, I will have to say, I'll have to send this out to see if you made it to the end. But we got to give a shout out, shout out to. Uh, Jacob Bratz, who wanted to be here badly, but uh, he had some prior engagements uh, that he had to uh, to attend. So uh, you're here in spirit, my man. <laughs> Next time. He doesn't yeah. listen to podcasts, right? Isn't that right? He, yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> Let's see if he listens to this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If I get a message that he says, thanks for the shout out, man, then I'll know he listened. Otherwise, he won't have listened. But... Uh, or if I get a message saying talking talking shit about me talking shit about him, then yeah, there you go. Fair enough. <laughs> no, but uh, but Jacob has. Uh, he, I know he loves his uh, his his papayans and. Um, his, <laughs> <laughs> it's all in love, bro. Uh, no, he's uh, super excited about uh, popping carpets, and um, I think his majority of his collection is is uh, that now. So. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much all he has for Morelli. I mean, he's got a couple of scrubs. He might have a Bradley or two, but right. otherwise, he's he's all he's all popping out. We we turned him to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, right. too bad. He's actually high out. Oh uh, so, uh, yeah. Cool. Well, I thank you, gentlemen, for uh, hanging out with us tonight. And uh, yeah, man, uh, we'll have to do it again sometime uh, after a couple years from now or a year from now when we have. Uh, some more projects on the table, and uh, yeah, should be cool. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, good time. Yeah. Thank you for the hospitality.